0: Looking forward to what the Lord has for us today. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. This morning we'll be uh, concluding our series uh, looking at the churches of the New Testament. And as I was thinking about this before the message, um, we actually began this, I, I began the ser- teaching the series actually in a non denominational church up in Washington. And then um, just kind of began teaching it down here as I was going through it. Um, It's a series that I had taught in Colorado probably six years ago or so. And uh, as I was thinking about um, where churches are today, driving in here this morning, we drove by um, another non-denominational church, we drove by another Baptist church, we drove by a Lutheran church. Uh, there's a lot of different forms of Christianity. I'm sure of most of you on your way in, and one way or another, you drove by another church. There's a flavor for everybody out there. Uh, before we get into the list, I'll just give an example. I was talking to uh, a customer customer of mine um, uh, about three weeks ago, and they moved up here from California. Uh, they used to be Catholic. Um, they were Catholic their whole lives. They're in their 70s now, and um one of them well they got out they said we had to just get out of the catholic church we couldn't do that anymore because there was a sexual scandal with the priest where they were and they were good friends with him and they just can't do it anymore and so they left the catholic church and up here they're going one the husband goes to real life and uh the uh um the wife goes to a non non-denom- another non-denominational church in Coeur d'Alene and the reason that they go to different churches is she doesn't like the big stage and the flashy lights and all this and the the production that goes on at Real Life. So she goes to another non-denominational church in in Coral Lane that's more conservative music, conservative preaching, and things like this. But they're both still Catholic. Like they're they didn't leave the Catholic Church because of what they teach about the gospel or whatever. But there's there's this movement now. This uh, there's there are churches that are open for everybody. But as I was thinking on the way in this morning about. What we looked at in our series on the churches in the New Testament and then what's out there today in Christianity, churches look a whole lot different today than they did during the early church, don't they? And if you look at what I want to do today is I was considering what to do. How do we conclude this? Because in conclusion, I could take three weeks just going over what we saw in the New Testament concerning the churches. And so how do I wrap this all up, keep it practical and so forth, and there's just a few things that I want to touch on that stood out to me as I was going through this series, things that I think are important for us to look at. Um, I did a conclusion. I was talking to Brother Kilgard yesterday, and I didn't know if I would mention this or not, but I, I had a conclusion for this series when I was in Colorado six years ago, and I opened it up on my computer, and I read it, and I was like, not doing it. It just... Because this is what the Lord has for us today, I believe. Um, like I said, the series could last three weeks, uh, just going over the conclusion. But let's begin by reading Romans, or Revelation chapter 1. and bre- Let's begin in verse 10. Uh, 1 verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice of him that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead." Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in thy right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, or the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And so, I just wanted to read that by introduction to point out, this was written close to 2,000 years ago. Um, The Lord here in this passage is seen as being in the midst of the seven churches. And nothing has changed today. These seven churches are dead and gone, but the Lord's church is still alive and well today. The Lord is alive and well today, and the Lord is still in the midst of His churches. And I think that that's important for us to uh, remember. It should cause us excitement. It should cause us joy to know that the Lord is here with us today. It should also cause us a great respect in a, in, and to consider that this is not a social club where we get to do things the way we want to. But it's the Lord's church. Yes. And the Lord pays attention to what we do and how we do it. Okay, let's begin by just considering what we saw In the seven churches. As we began, we saw that they were focused on prayer. They were a praying church. This is perhaps one of the most important aspects about the church. Turn to Acts chapter 1. We'll look in Acts at just a few uh, passages just real briefly. And I'm going to be going through these points uh, pretty quickly because I just want to touch on things that we saw. But these first two points, I'm going to use a fair amount of Scripture because I think it is very important for the day in which we live and uh, for the condition of churches in general. Um, I would say most churches are not praying churches they're not churches, yes, people in the church pray, but they're not they wouldn't be identified as praying churches. The church, when it began from the upper room from the very beginning, it says that they were in continual prayer there's this term that's used i want you to notice in all the passages that we're going to read it says continued they continued and they continued as we go from chapter to chapter it acts 1 14 as they waited uh, the lord had told them to wait before the day of pentecost it says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and mary the mother of jesus and with his brethren and then if you go over to acts chapter 2 and verse 42 after Paul preached that great message and people were saved, there were 3,000 saved, baptized, added to the church. And it says what, how they their behavior. And it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. They, when it says they continued, this prayers is included in that continued. And they continued in prayers. They prayed and when things were good. There's great revival, the Lord saving people, they continued in prayer. And then they prayed in the face of persecution. Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. I'll wait until you get over there. Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. And being let go, they this is oh, the apostles had been persecuted, been brought before the leadership and told that they should not preach the gospel anymore, not preach Jesus. And they were beaten, but it says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. And then you go down a few verses later, it concludes, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servant that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They prayed in the face of persecution. In Acts 16, we're familiar with the the instance of Paul and Silas when they were in jail. They've been beaten, thrown into jail. And it says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And uh, uh, the leadership of the early church was given to prayer. Acts 6.4 says the apostles, when they were selecting deacons, they said, but we will give ourselves continually. Just think about that phrasing there. They were given to prayer. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The next thing I want us to notice is that the churches of the, the early churches practiced believers' baptism and preached the baptism of repentance. I'm just going to read these because we have a fair amount to go through, and I want to look at baptism just in a few different things, and then we'll get on to our next point. Acts chapter 2 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This, repent and be baptized, was his instruction to them. It says, "Then, then they, a few verses later, then they that gladly received his word. Who was baptized? They that gladly received his word. You could say they believed. His word believed on the Lord Jesus Christ were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about three thousand souls. Acts nineteen four it says, "Then uh, Paul and John verily ba-, this is the instance of uh, where uh, Paul uh, was dealing with the twelve disciples of John, and uh, oh, he was saying that." Uh, Uh, Then said said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. And then down to verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. We see believers' baptism in Corinth in Acts 18, verse 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing believed, and we're baptized. Believing always precedes baptism. Yes. There's no such thing as being baptized for salvation. You're not baptized and then you believe as this form of process, like the Methodists believe, where you're you're say or you're baptized, and then this salvation is a continual work of progress until the final conclusion. No. Um, it's not like the Church of Christ where they believe in baptism or regeneration, or the Lutherans who promote baptism or regeneration in their own form no it's in the in the Word of God, people believed and were baptized yes. that's always the yes. process, always the formula uh, Baptism does not save, and so um believers were baptized upon believing as a time frame for their baptism also uh, Philip in, in Acts 8, it says, that Philip in Samaria, it says, but when they believed, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, and in the name, in the name of Jesus Christ, they, be, they were baptized, both men and women. When they, be, when they believed, they were baptized. There's a time frame there. When they believed, they were baptized. Oh, we see that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people believed and were baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch, he I'm just pointing out things from the Word of God, how they did it. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch, he was baptized on the side of the road. When he believed, he was baptized. Cornelius in his house, and they believed, they were baptized in their house. The 12 disciples of John, I just read, they were baptized by Paul, um, the Philippian jailer. In the night, in his house, Acts 16 says, and they said believe, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his. And then it doubles down on it straightway. Um, Paul's own testimony. Three days after, after three days of isolation, blind and in prayer, Um, Ananias told him this. And now why tarryest thou? Arise. I find it funny that he asks him, why tarryest thou? Well, he's blind. (laughs) He's been blind and he's been in prayer. It says very specifically he was in prayer. But this is Paul's own personal testimony um, of when he's talking to the crowd about how he was saved and what happened and so forth. He says, and Ananias said unto me. And now why tarryest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. There's a little bit of urgency in that statement. Why tarryest thou? No, Paul had already believed. In case you look at the wording of that and you're like, well, that's a little confusing. Oh, when did Paul believe on the Lord? So why don't you tell me? When did Paul believe on the Lord? When he's getting up off. Exactly, when he was getting up off the dirt, probably still laying in the dirt, blind, had just seen the Lord... And he cried out and he said, and this is repentance. He went from hating the Lord Jesus Christ. He hated that way. He went from killing the people of God. And now in his heart, if this is not repentance, then I don't know what is. He went from hating the Lord to calling him Lord. Yes. He said, Lord, yes. what would you have yes. me to do? That is what a child of God yes. does when they're saved. I know I'm not supposed to be preaching right now, so I'll, I'll calm down. But that is salvation. Salvation. And so Paul was saved, and so he wasn't baptized when he was saved. But there's still a note of urgency when Ananias is dealing with him. He's like, "Why tarriest thou?" He's encouraging him. It's a positive thing: repentance and baptism and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and the people identifying with Christ in baptism. This is a wonderful thing. There's there's no reason to delay. Why tarriest thou? be baptized and so he was baptized and then he went on and began immediately professing christ to people in the synagogues in damascus um, the churches we saw as we looked at churches they were made up of baptized believers as we see in the beginning of acts chapter 2 and throughout that's who was in the church um, You will never find an example of someone who was in a church who had never been baptized. It's just ridiculous. There's no such thing. It's absurd. Um, Churches had two offices, bishops and deacons. And bear with me while I point some things out here, okay? Um, Sometimes there were more. This is what we saw. Sometimes there were more than just one bishop or deacon. In certain passages large churches had elders, plural, who were responsible um, to, as in the words of Paul, he told the elders, plural, to protect the flock over the which God has made you overseers. To me, that goes beyond the duties of table waiters as so many like to minimize the office of a deacon. Either the responsibility of the office of a deacon um, can expand due to necessity, or there were multiple pastors. Uh, Paul and Timotheus dis- uh, Um, when Paul is writing to Philippi, I believe it is, I didn't even put the reference here, but Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. We see there's plural there, bishops and deacons, in that one church. And that wasn't even considered to be one of the mega churches, like Ephesus, Jerusalem, and so forth. Um, We see that there was uh, other leadership But, here's why I said bear with me. Without question though, there is ultimately to be only one shepherd of the flock who has the final answer to God, and I have plenty of scripture for that. So even though there may be multiple bishops, if you will, multiple pastors, multiple overseers, multiple people with responsibility to protect the flock, there is, God has designed it so there is one main shepherd of the flock, And he may have other people who help him. Um, Consider the angels of the churches of Revelation. And we know that the angels are the pastors of the churches in Revelation. And one of those churches was Ephesus. The very church that Paul had told the elders. He called the elders, plural. It said, protect the flock. It was to that same church that Jesus Christ wrote to Ephesus and he when when Ephesus was failing when Ephesus he praised them for certain things but when they had things they needed to fix he, Jesus did not address the angels of the church of Ephesus he addressed to the angel yes. to the pastor of the church of Ephesus and so I think we can see there that there's um there were multiple elders but there was one guy who ultimately is responsible to God for Overseeing the flock of God and so that's that's God's uh, design there um, the churches one other thing we saw was that churches were completely independent of one another and yet had relationships with one another and shared ministers it's very fascinating to me as we saw um, as we looked at the different churches in And men would go, churches would send someone to go help here. And and, uh, um, if you read the conclusion in the epistles, when Paul is writing, the relationship and the people that knew, um, people from everywhere were working in other churches. There was a network, there was a relationship between these churches. But all of those churches were independent. And we we spent plenty of time looking at that. um, How even when there were problems that came up and doctrinal issues that had to come up, at the end of the day, no one church had the authority over another church to tell them how you they could recommend. And it might be, this, this is what we believe the Bible has to say, but at no, no time can a church say, you're no longer one of the Lord's churches. You can't say that, oh, uh, this is how you have to do it. Um, it's, every church answers directly to God. Yes. Um. And uh, we see that very clearly in the book of Revelation. All those churches, they answer to God for what it is that they're doing. And while, I'll jump ahead just a little bit since I'm kind of on that. While most of the churches that we saw in the New Testament had problems. And if all those churches were trying to correct the problems in other churches, they were neglecting the problems that were in their own churches and it took Jesus Christ himself to write to those churches and tell them you think you're this way or I know your works and you're right on these things but you need to fix this and so I'm afraid that there's too many churches today that have a lot of problems in their own church and they're so busy pointing out what's wrong with all these other churches and discrediting them and so forth when they have their own problems and so Uh, We don't oversee each other. Um, Evangelists and missionaries, here's an important thing that we saw. Evangelists and missionaries were sent out of churches. Most clearly seen in Antioch, but before that, even with men like Barnabas and Philip. Barnabas was sent by the church. It's so clear. Time after time after time, it shows, and the church sent. It could be to deliver money, it could be to deliver an epistle. It could be um, Barnabas going up to confirm and encourage the brethren in Antioch and check things out. It could be whatever it was. I don't care if it was an apostle. The apostle Paul was not too high and mighty to not be sent out himself. If there was ever anybody who did not need the authority of a church, it was the apostle Paul. Because God had come to him himself and even told Ananias, I have called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so Paul could have just been like, listen, this is what God has told me to do, and I don't need no authority from man. I don't need a church to send me out. But he didn't do that because I believe if a person has a proper heart and a desire to serve the Lord, he's going to be willing to submit to the Lord's church and recognize this is the means that God has uh, chosen to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, We saw this so consistently throughout uh, this series on churches. There were no rogue ministers. Uh there were no parachurch organizations. That's right. Um, there just weren't. There yeah. there was no such thing as parachurch. It was all the churches doing this and the churches doing that. Yeah. Um, you might be thinking, oh, what about Apollos? Well, I'll get to this in a second, but um evangelists and missionaries, they not only preached the gospel and established churches, they weren't just church planners. They also had a ministry of confirmation, and I'm hoping to preach a message on that here sometime in the future. But a ministry of confirmation, going about to existing churches and further establishing them in doctrine and scriptures, and in in, in the preaching of Christ and so forth. Uh, we see that Paul he desired to go to Rome. Not he says, I don't. He says, I have not. I've just you know, been so excited about coming to Rome so I could further establish you in the doctrine of the church or this or that. He says, I can't wait to get to Rome to preach to Christians, to preach to church, to preach Christ. He wanted to go preach the gospel unto them. And so part of the preaching of confirmation and going to churches is establishing them further in doctrine. But it's also establishing them further in their love of Christ in their trust and their faith in Christ and building that up through the scriptures. Um, and uh, we see the Ministry of Confirmation as early as Barnabas when he was sent by the church to go to Antioch. Um, he didn't go there to organize that church, but to confirm an encouraging and encouraging an existing church, just as he continued to do throughout his ministry. Churches gave of themselves to the ministry. This is another thing we saw. Churches gave of themselves, and this is an important term that is mentioned more than once where they gave of themselves. They gave their time. They gave their money. Um, They gave uh, in many different ways, but they gave of themselves to ministry. And it began in Jerusalem. We saw people sold their... Men like Barnabas, when they surrendered to ministry, sold his houses, his lands, gave it to the church. And by the way, one of the things that we saw is when people... uh, This is another touchy thing... uh, in a lot of what happens in churches, but it has no business happening in church, is when you donate and give your money to a church, just give it to the church. Yes. You don't need to give your retirement or give when you pass away. and you Now this needs to go, I want this going to this. You don't see that in the Bible. It says they came and just laid it down at the apostles' feet. Let the church do what it will with the money. Right. Right, um, but there's a fair amount of that that goes on in churches as well. Um, we addressed it. In fact, in a lot in some churches, you'll you'll walk around, and um, I've done work at some pretty good church, good sized churches in Colorado, and you'll walk around, and they got sidewalks and benches, and they have things in churches, plaques commemorating that this section of the building was, you know, donated. It's like going to a college university, you right. know, and this stadium is such and such stadium because. Listen, we don't need that in, our, in the churches. Just give it to the church and let the church do with it as they will. Um, but that really appeals to, to men. Um, churches are constantly, in the, in the Word of God, churches were constantly under attack. And they still are constantly under attack. And dangers that can come from without and from within. And so we saw that Paul told the church in Ephesus, grievous wolves shall enter in. And I'm paraphrasing here, but, and grievous wolves shall enter in, and some men from among you will draw men away unto themselves. And we saw one of the reasons that people, um, wolves come in, is lost men who are in positions of leadership in churches, they do what they do because they have a desire to draw men away after themselves. They're people pleasers, and they will tell people whatever doctrine or whatever it is, or they'll have a special word or a special insight. But the real reason behind it is that they desire to have men follow them, and they draw men away after themselves. And the same thing uh, happens today. In Thyatira, we see that they had a self... These are churches of the Lord, had a self-proclaimed prophetess. It says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest your tolerating, That woman Jezebel, who calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce... Notice she calls herself a prophetess. She wasn't really a prophetess. She calls herself a prophetess. To teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things offered to idols. And I gave her the space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds." And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one according to your works. In Pergamos, um, they had problems with false doctrine. He says, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. And then a few verses later he says, so thou also hast them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. These churches of the Lord, scriptural churches, but they had problems in their churches. They had false doctrine in their churches and that had been tolerated. And so my next point is this. Churches, good churches, can have serious problems Um, and still be the Lord's churches. If we we've we've talked to, whether it's in conversation or whether it's from lessons that we've had, if we knew of churches today that had the problems that Corinth had, I mean just numerous problems. We today we take one of those problems and we write them off as what they got going on over there. I mean, we do things like if a church is, is what we believe they're off on eschatology, write them off. They could be KJV, they could be established properly, they could preach the gospel, they could do all this stuff. They're off on one thing. Write them off. Oh, um, and uh, you just you, you name it. Uh, churches, there are churches where some a church will accept members from another church that maybe that membership member was disciplined two or three years ago. And, um, and then this new church accepts those people and it shouldn't happen without a conversation, at least happening between the leaders of the churches. But this happens all the time, especially where there's more churches and there's church swapping going on. And then that church accepts some people that were disciplined because they think, well, maybe that wasn't worthy of discipline or they have their own reason. And so then all of a sudden all the other churches that are in fellowship with the church where those people were first disciplined get up in arms, have a meeting, and figure out how, what they can do to sanction that church. I mean, this stuff, and then pretty soon they end up, that church is on the outside, pretty soon that's not even one of the Lord's churches. I mean, it's absolutely absurd the level of scrutiny and use of a microscope that goes on yes. looking at all the other churches And when in reality, some of those churches themselves are just flat out dead, rotten, without any spirit at all. They're not praying churches. There's no Holy Spirit moving in the church. The gospel is hardly preached. And yet they have all these things that they look at in these other churches and what's wrong with them. And so we need to be very careful. I'm just saying these things. We need to be very careful about how it's just like in our personal walk. It's a lot easy. This is what churches do, but Jesus warned against, you know, judging the brother that has a mote in his eye when you got a beam in your own eye. And churches do the same thing. And so, a lot of what we see, how we are to be as Christians, um, in our walk with the Lord on a personal level, I see parallels there with churches and how churches are to be. When churches are wrong. They don't need to cease to be a church. They need to repent. Right. The extra instruction is always to correct. If you're in a church and you see a problem in a church, try to work with it. You don't just jump ship and leave. Right? right? You try to do what you can to mend relationships. And, and uh, um, if there's doctrinal issues, you try to work it out. Um, you, problem with the pastor, personality, whatever. You don't just jump to another church you work it out and so um churches need to be quick to repent and get back and evaluate where they are just like we evaluate we're supposed to evaluate our walk and where we are with the lord and sometimes it's good for churches to prayerfully consider where are we going what are we doing um are there some things that need and of course it's usually the pastor um his responsibility is the overseer but churches need to um listen to instruction and i'll just on that thought i'll finish with um on that particular point i'll finish with how it worked in the churches in the book of revelation the pastor's the one that received the instruction on this is what's wrong and this is what needs corrected and then the pastor his responsibility was to go to the church you know what the church's responsibility was It was to listen to the pastor, listen to the leadership, and then repent and get right. Don't fight it, just repent and get right. I wonder, we don't have a lot of detail, but I wonder what the response was like in each one of these churches. The church that had the Jezebel, when they got this letter, did they just be like, instantly, did they repent, weeping, realize how serious the Lord takes this, and they just got rid of her? Because those were some pretty stern warnings. I mean what 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 the Lord said he would do to those who were in partnership with her um, that was that was serious um, did Ephesus fall in love with the Lord again did they repent and realize wow we have really we when we first were saved if you read about the church in Ephesus they were on fire for God it was all about uh personal separation separating themselves from the world Burning their former forms of books of their former religion, and oh man, they were on fire for God, and the gospel just spread. It was all about the gospel, it seeks souls saved, and and so forth. And then you read about what Jesus says to them, and He says, "I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and thou cannot bear them that are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and found them liars, and hast borne and had patience for my name'sake, labored and has not fainted." Nevertheless, so they were faithful in all these doctrinal areas. And, and, uh, um, but he says, I have someone against thee because I was left thy first love. I wonder how they responded. Did they go, did, was it sad for them? Did they realize how far they had slipped and all this time we thought we were right? And, and yet, man, did they on a personal level, that was a big church, but on a personal level, did the people of that church go, I just don't love the Lord like I used to, and I need to get back to that somehow. You know, how do they respond? But we need to make sure that we're a church uh, that responds. The sobering thing, two more final thoughts. Christ knows our works. Good or bad. There's a couple churches he didn't have anything bad to say about them. He commended them and gave them some more promises. Revealed some more about himself in the relationship uh, to that church. Um, but then some of them, he would say, I know thy works. And he always listed the good first. But then he would always say, I have somewhat against thee. But he knows our works. He always started every one. At, say, he, he started every letter to the pastor of the church. Dot, dot, dot. I know thy works. That's pretty sobering. He knows our works. And then... Um, churches in the new testament they often thought of themselves in certain ways but we saw in multiple instances whether it was paul writing to a church or a couple times when the lord was writing to one of these churches they would think that they were a certain way but the lord would be like you think you're rich but you're poor you think this but you're not and so we need to make sure that whatever it does whatever it is that we do um, as a church, let's just make sure that our practice lines up with how they did it in the Bible. We can establish a lot of deeper doctrines and, and all these things, but I think we would be really well served. We want to know how we should behave as a church. Look at some of these practical things and begin with prayer, desiring the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I didn't even touch on this, but one thing we saw in the early church is that the men... When they sought leadership, it says in he being full of the Holy Ghost. The deacons, the requirement was that they be full of the Holy Ghost. They were all indwelt by the Holy Ghost. But we need people who are full of the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other message, but pastor.